0: YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever time of day it is that you're listening to this. I hope I hope you're having a great one. I hope you are crushing all your goals in life. Um, I'm just going to get right into it. One thing that really annoys me, I'm, I'm kind of on edge right now because I was just, I just left the gym and, uh, I was, I was the only guy on the treadmill. There's a row of 20 treadmills. I'm the only one. And all the other treadmills, the other 19 are available and I'm on one. And out of nowhere, some guy just walks up and gets on the one next to me. And I don't like that shit. Immediately in my mind, I'm like, dude, you have all these other treadmills why are you trying to come up here and invade my personal space? You're trying to make out or you're trying to work out like, what's up? Like, what are we doing here? Like, let me know. So I know that you're not a threat to me. And I end up doing like another minute and a half, two minutes because I can't focus. I, I do not like somebody within an arms distance of my, of me. So I end up shortening my workout and uh, going somewhere else in the gym and, and finishing up somewhere else. Now, When I watch people on treadmills often in the gym, I see people all around them next to them and they're completely unaware. They're just not either watching or they just don't care. Like people in their space do not bother them. Like I'm the kind of guy, like if we were going to make out, I could make out with you from across the country. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need your nastiness all up in my space. Like, I don't know if that makes sense or not. But that's how, like, just just back the fuck up I am. like, And that's just who I am. Like, I don't, in the Marine Corps, and I hate to keep referencing that, but the Marine Corps preaches one-arms distance, stay one-arms distance. Because if you come within that one-arms distance, one, that's my striking range. Two, that's my I'm going to pull you in range and then fuck you up. But three, that's the range at which you can effectively close distance with me and hurt me. If you can grab me within one arm's distance, that's a threat to me. This isn't something I just dreamed up out of my ass or pulled out of thin air. These are real things that I've been taught and how I've lived my life. Goes back to when I'm a police officer. Watch any police officer worth their salt, and, and, and a police officer that's aware, not one that fucking sleeps in the car on duty and walks around with their fucking hands in their pockets and they're lackadaisical and they just act like there's no threat out there and they're clearly just soaking up a paycheck because they don't realize that there's real threats out there. I'm talking about watch that police officer when he's conducting a field interview or she's conducting a field interview on the side of the road. Their body is bladed, and they are one arm's distance from that person. I don't care if it's little granny Smith apple person or I don't care if it's some big buff and intimidating dude they are always 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 blading their stance and keeping that one arm's distance I know police officers so badly that and I was like this too I would go in a private setting when you're talking amongst friends who are outside of law enforcement which are very few and far between mind you watch watch the police officers that you know are in the streets all right and when they go to a function somewhere or they're sitting there at a social gathering they're standing there talking to people that back leg that power leg is dropped back their weapon their weapon side is guarded from the person they're talking to they may even they may even go as far as to have their left hand cuz I'm right-handed so my right hand always goes back my right leg always goes back their left hand may even be raised up a little bit or they do the classic cop stance where both of your hands are about chest height and they're joined. And what that is, is to go ahead and deflect any kind of punch you may throw or any kind of weapon you may bring out. It's an opportunity for us to already have our weapons or our hands at the ready to deflect that. Think I'm crazy. I've caught myself talking to people like this, even after events. It's weird. And it's like, I have to be cognizant of this. I have to be aware of this. And I'm like, oh man, stop. Like, put your fucking hands down, Travis. Straighten your stance up. Relax your posture a little bit. That's why dudes like me, when I was on the job, and if you listen back to episode 10, where I talk about female responders with post-traumatic stress, how when I was on the job, looking back, those female police officers were such an asset to us. Such an asset. Because a dude like me would immediately show up on a scene and immediately present a power stance, not realizing that that's a threatening gesture to a, to, a, to a career criminal. That is a very threatening gesture. And so then their posture changes. And there no words are even exchanged. It's our stances that start challenging each other. And then when you have a good female police officer on scene who knows how to use her verbal judo, can de-escalate that situation. I realized a long time ago when I was in law enforcement, I was like, man, I love having these female cops around because they can de-escalate a situation so quickly. And how they did that was, hey, Travis, back the fuck up. And that's how they de-escalated it. Because when I would show up, there was no telling where that fucking situation was going. And I talk about that during uh during comedy when I used to I used to tell this joke about getting suspended without pay. Uh, for two weeks because of shit that I would just say to people because I like cracking jokes. And the bad part about that is when most people call the cops, they're not in the mood for fucking jokes, people. My mouth got me in a lot of trouble back then. And, you know, it's it's crazy what your mouth can do. It can get you in trouble and it can make you a living. And now I make a living with my mouth. Keep your fucking comments to yourself and get your mind out of the gutter. Damn it. You are some sick, sick individuals. So what I'm getting at is this. When a dude comes up next to you on a treadmill, it's no different than when you're a dude and you go to the urinal and there's 15 urinals and the dude rolls up next to you at the urinal right next to you. And heaven forbid you're wearing flip-flops. And any guy that was worth his salt has had his feet pissed on standing at a urinal by another man because of the backsplash that comes off of the urinal. And that's why I hate wearing flip-flops into public restrooms is because I have had my feet pissed on by multiple men in my life and it is nasty. And you ask Travis, why do you sit down to pee so much? Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe I have post-traumatic stress from having pissed on feet. They say it's better to be pissed off than to piss, be pissed on. And I can guarantee you there is some truth to that. I I'm fired up, boy. I can't stand when a dude comes up and rolls up next to me at a urinal. You got all these other urinals. And you and you're gonna come press up on me. Did 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 I ever tell y'all about why I have stage fright peeing at urinals? I, have I ever because I know I'm open about a lot of things. I'm I'm gonna openly disclose this before we get going in this episode. There was a time, I don't know if I've talked about this, I've talked about so much stuff. So if if I've if I've told this story, forgive me. There was a time when we were in Barcelona, Spain, when I was in Marines. And, um, we, we actually got tricked into going to a peep show to where, where you would go and you would put your money, your little pesos in a, in a, in a slot. And then a door would come up and behind that door would be, you know, two, three, four, five, six Christian individuals having intercourse. And we got tricked into going and, you know, cause I would have never voluntarily went to something like this in my life. There's no way I would have just, just went to that. And then when we get there, somebody pulls money out of my pocket and put the money into the slot. So the door could go up and, and then I'm standing in this booth watching this show. And then the thing is on a timer, like the little window is on a timer. So as the timer goes down, the window comes down. And if you want to you know, sit there and watch more of a show, you got to pull more money out. Well, what I realized is the longer I stood in there, somebody kept pulling money out of my pocket and, and, kept putting it into the little thing. And then unfortunately I ended up watching the whole show. Okay. That's what I'm getting at is I'm the victim here. So all the Marines that were in our group, the same thing happened to, and I think they, I don't know if there were ghosts in this place or not, because I talked to all my friends when we came out of there and I was like, Oh my gosh, that was, that was very unchristian, like, like what we just experienced. And, I was like, man, somebody kept putting money into this machine, and they just kept putting their hands and 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 the booth is only big enough for one person. So um, they were like, yeah, me too, man. Somebody kept paying for my machine to, for the window to stay open. So anyway, long story sh- long story short, after the show's over, after you got done watching these grotesque acts, we, you know, you got, I had to pee. All right, and this is why I have stage fright to this day, as a grown man. What we didn't know is outside of that building there were street level prostitutes. Okay. And when I went into the restroom to urinate, street level prostitute came in and stood next to me at the urinal. And it was weird because the, I mean, she was, she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. She was, you know, like, I like them big and in shape and strong and all this. And then, but the, the, the weird part was, was that while I was in the middle of peeing, this woman, her, her beard was just a little too long on her face. Okay. And the way that she was looking at me was really intimidating. And it gave me a shy bladder. All right. I'm just, this is 100% honest. And so I had to zip up and leave. And, um, I walked out and then her friends were outside. And when we left, I'll never forget. I had my buddy. I don't want to drop his name, but he was with me. And he said, good night, ladies. And one of them, you know, apparently, I don't know if she had been smoking cigarettes or something, but you know, her voice just was just a little deeper to mine. That lady was like, good night. And, and it was, you know, it was a nice night. It was a pleasant evening. But what I'm getting at is for whatever reason, my bladder has been very shy ever since then. So if anybody, you know, pulls up next to me to, to, to pee, my stream shuts down. All right. So that's, that's why I don't like people rolling up next to me. It takes me back to that place. Okay. That, and I had a staff sergeant in the Marine Corps. I made. I don't know if I said this, I told you all this, but we, we had a, um, we had used to have to take urinalysis analysis exams and what they would do in the Marines, whoever was the, uh, we call it the pecker checker, right? You had to go and you actually had to watch the person pee into a cup and you had to watch the stream leave their body. All right. You know, it's very intimidating. And I remember my staff sergeant when I went to do a a urinalysis one time, he was sitting in there and he was making fun of everybody that came in there. Right. And when I got there, I just could not pee. And the things that he was saying were so foul. I'm not even going to say them on his podcast, but you can understand like why it was so difficult for me to pee. And so now my bladder's extra shy. So I like to be by myself and I like to be by myself on a damn treadmill. If any of that makes sense, if it doesn't, I don't know what to tell you. I had a I did have a victory today while I was working out and it's something that seems so simple and so minute and actually just not important. But when I actually stopped to think about it later, I realized the magnitude of this. And this episode is coming fresh off the heels of obviously the last episode the greatest woman I never met where I was really motivated and I was talking about, you know, achieving your goals and, um, doing whatever that may take. Well, for, for the longest time, I, I would say for several years now, I've lost a lot of motivation in the gym and I never knew why that was. And I thought everything in my life was, was turning around. I was moving forward and I, and it was, it was true. It was, and I was slowly progressing forward and, but something was failing me. My, my interest in the gym was subsiding. My, uh, my motivation to, you know, stay fit was, was, um, was fading. And so when I would go into the gym, one thing would always happen. Y'all know, I talk to my buddy Randy all the time and I would always tell Randy in the morning, Hey, I'm headed to the gym. And what he knew then was don't call me. I'll call you. And here's why a long time ago, like a couple years ago, all of a sudden, when Randy would call me in the morning, when I was in the gym, if my phone rang and it was Randy, it, my workout stopped I didn't even have to answer it. I would see his call and it would disrupt my flow so much that it was almost like my shy bladder i couldn't go i It was just bam, it was instant, and I was shut down and So what happened out of that? I started getting mad at Randy. I started getting furious at Randy actually anytime he would call because I would tell him not to, but he would always call me because he would get excited about some dumb shit, some meme he saw on Facebook. Something he wanted to make fun of, he would call me because he didn't think it was a big deal. It's just Travis working out, no big deal. Well, over the years, many, 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 many times, Randy would call and, and, and I would just say, and I would say it out loud. I would go, this motherfucker. And I would get so upset because it would ruin my workout. And I want y'all to listen to this. That call ruined my workout. And it made me stop working out. Do you understand the power of that? Do you understand how powerful that is when somebody can call and disrupt you when you're in the middle of a routine and call you to the point you lose all focus, all motivation, all ambition, all drive, whatever the word is that you want to use? When something disrupts that, you're just done. Think about how powerful that is. Let me tell you what it is. That's not powerful, it's absolutely not powerful. It's actually quite the opposite. It's a four-letter word, and it's called weak. It is weak as fuck. Now, let me tell you why. Recently, I've gotten back in the gym. I've realigned myself. I've refocused myself. I've recharged myself. I've realized the importance of certain things, and I've realized how important some things are not. And I've prioritized my entire life based around this new vision that I have, this growth phase of my life. I've re-energized, I've refocused, my batteries are charged. Nothing can stop me. I've developed that mindset from the Travis long ago. See, the difference with the fitness part of my mindset recently was Everything else in my life, I was laser focused on everything else, all the goals and desires and ambitions I had, I was focused and nothing could stop me with those things. But I didn't focus like that when it came to my fitness any longer. And I don't know why, I don't know what happened, but something happened. This is why I tell you about this story this morning. I was in the middle of working out this morning And I was absolutely crushing it. And I'm not saying that to be like, hey, look at me, look at my fitness, because you'll never see me posting pictures of me working out. I can't stand those fucking tool bags that do that. And if you do that, yes, you are a tool bag. And if that makes you unfollow me, because I said that, it is what it is. If that makes you stop listening to this, it is what it is. Nobody gives a shit about watching somebody work out. Nobody cares. I see people post video after video after video of you working out. And all that is... Is that self-absorption? That's all that is. Let me get back to something else. I could go on. A, I could go on a tangent with that shit. Randy calls me in the middle of this, in, in the middle of my workout, and I am absolutely laser focused. I'm animalistic at this point. I got sweat rolling down my face. My hair is drenched. My hat is soaked. My shirt is soaked. And this is something that has not happened in a while. Like I'm in it. I got, I I am so sweaty. My beard is soppy wet and I'm loving it because I thought that part of me was dead and it's not. It's very much alive. It's just been hibernating like a son of a bitch. All of a sudden my music goes out and I look down at my phone and fucking Randy's calling me and I said it again out loud. You know what I said? I go, this motherfucker and I hit decline. And you know what happened next? Nothing. I stayed in the fight. I kept after it. I actually got stronger. I got more motivated, and I kept pushing. He didn't disrupt me this time. Do you know why? Let's talk about that. This was the first time in probably three or four years that if Randy called me, it didn't disrupt me. And this is why the reason why is I was looking for a reason to quit all those other times. And when Randy would call, I had my reason. I was looking for a reason to validate any kind of weakness inside of me. And when Randy would call me, that was my reason. And not only that, I was such a miserable, unhappy person. I needed somebody to blame. I needed somebody to blame for anything that didn't go the way that I wanted it to in my life. Sound familiar? So there was my reason. That was my reason for quitting anything. And I want to talk about how that translates into, or or how that crosses over into our day-to-day operations, Anytime something doesn't go your way and you get mad and you put blame on somebody else or something else, you got to stop and recognize it's not them. It's not that it's you. There's something missing with you. I got to a point in my life where I didn't recognize that this was happening because it was happening so often. I was blaming every situation any negative little thing. I'm talking the smallest little things. I got to a point where I was so spiteful towards anybody around me. If something didn't go the, the exact way I needed it to go. And what it was, was because it, I was losing control. And when I would lose control of something, it made it easier to point the finger outward. And I talked about that in the last episode. It's so much easier to point the finger outward than it is inward. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you do that, when you find excuses to quit and you put that on other people and you make it their fault, that's cowardly. And that's what I was doing. When I look back at my professional or my personal life with my wife, when I look at my personal life with my own children, then I'm talking years ago now. This isn't last week, a long way past that guy that I used to be. But when I look back at the way things used to be, it's because I was a coward. It's because I needed validation for being weak because I couldn't admit at the time that I was so weak that whatever wasn't going my way was my fault. Well, the bills are getting too high. I'm not making enough money. You're spending too much money. You see what I'm getting at? How many of our lives we have financial issues and how many of our lives we sit back and we look at, well, you're just spending too much money and I'm over here making, making as much as I can hand over fist and it's just disappearing hand over fist. Well, you know what? Go fucking make more that or actually sit down and have a, an adult conversation with your spouse. If somebody's spending too much money and fix it. But don't sit there and be resentful and get mad and get mean and get ugly because of the situation at hand. Take control of the situation. How many times have you, I'm talking to each and every one of you that that are listening to this, how many times have you ever stopped for two seconds and reflected on your relationship with your spouse? All right maybe something's went wrong recently or whatever. And how many times you've ever really honestly stopped and viewed things from their stance. I'm talking not 90% viewed from their stance, 100%. And you stopped and you considered where they were coming from. 100% consideration from their point of view and not yours. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that's not many of you. But if you can do that, if you can start doing that and just stopping and seeing things a different from a different perspective and stop focusing so much on your bullshit, I'm telling you things will get better. I think back to that last episode where we were talking about the firefighter who was talking about losing it on his kids and losing it on his wife. Um, I, I know that man. I was that man. And I know why I I get it now. It literally, it took this morning. It took Randy calling me this morning and me pushing through that for, and to sit back and think about why I pushed through that and why I couldn't push through that before. Here's, here's, here's what it is. It's not that man's wife. It's not that man's children that's setting him off. What that is, is that's the excuse he needs to explode because there's something else going on with him just like there was with me. There was so much more going on inside of me and I needed any and every little excuse to explode and to not address the real issue that was going on inside of me because I was so much of a coward. I could not even address what was going on with me. And I hid it and I buried my head in the sand and I ran from it. And refuse to admit that it was me. It was somebody else. It's everybody else. And all the fingers start getting pointed. And all the blame starts getting casted like a big shrimp net. I start casting this big shrimp net of blame over everybody else. And never once put myself inside that own net. And when I decided to change that, it all changed for me. It's crazy. It took one little phone call this morning for for that to really um, come into perspective for me. I've always, I've always known that, but for me to be able to put it in words like this this morning, it took one little phone call. Isn't that crazy? I think it's crazy how there's all these little stop signs in our mind that we fail to recognize. And once you can start recognizing the stop signs in your mind, why am I stopping? What is making me stop versus just saying, Hey, there's a stop sign. I'm going to stop because it says to stop. That's it. It's understanding those stop signs and pushing through them. I was thinking about progress this morning because, you know, I'm writing, I'm, I'm obviously writing my new book um, that's coming out. And I want to talk about some of the stuff I've been writing about because it's really motivational for me anyway. And it's really cathartic for me to, to actually see it on paper. And it makes me reflect back on so many things. And I remember when I was writing my first book, Create Your Own Light, when I wrote that book, the things that I learned about myself were just phenomenal. And, and nobody could have taught me more about myself than myself. Uh, there was no amount of therapy that I could go to that would make me understand what I was going through versus writing it out and putting it on paper. And so this next book is about the journey that I have been on since that book came out. You know, when that book ended with me, obviously getting back into comedy in 2020, um, post-traumatic purpose, the course that I'm teaching and all these things that I'm doing now, that wasn't even a, a thought and it was just crazy in this, in this two-year span how quickly things have transitioned. And it was it's like somebody put this thing inside of a rocket ship and lit it on fire, and it has taken off. And I was never expecting this to happen, but it has. And I want to share that journey with you all. I want to share the entire experience and the transition with everybody because there's a lot of healing uh, properties, I feel, inside of this book. Whereas the last book that I wrote, it was more about an awareness. It was addressing like, hey, look, I realized that I went through all of these shitty things and I realized I need to change it and it is my responsibility to change it. And then the book stops. What it's, It stops with me realizing something needed to happen within me and nobody was going to do it for me. I needed to create my own light, hence the name of the book. And I found the way that I was going to do that, but I didn't talk about how I was able to do it because I hadn't lived that part of my life yet. Well, I'm at that part and I'm at that point. And I want to share that with you. And I started sitting here thinking and I started reflecting back on through my writing process on just how far I've come. And one of the things that stuck out to me is that I think a lot of people, you know, you hear, you hear folks say, you know, never look back in life. Don't look back, only look forward. I think it's important I think it's really important to look back. And I think it's really important to not live and dwell in negative moments in the past, but it's, it's necessary in order to thrive in the future. It's necessary for you to realize how far you've come, how far, how much you've been through the obstacles that you have cleared to be where you are. Because a lot of times we only focus on where we are and where we're not, but what you don't realize is To get where you have gotten to in your life, you have been through so much. And a lot of us forget that, you know, it's that whole, don't ever forget where you came from mindset. And that's why it's important to look back, not to dwell in the negative moments, but to relish in the wonderful moments that made you who you are. Right? So what I was thinking of Mac this morning, I was thinking back to when I was on tour in comedy and I was in Indianapolis And, you know, I wrote about Miss Melinda and Mr. David in my book, create your own light. If you read that book, you know who those people are. They're very special to me. They were like second parents to me. Well, they, in their adult year, not in their adult years, but in their golden years, they ended up moving to Indianapolis or outside of Indianapolis to Terre Haute, Indiana in the middle of a fucking cornfield because their son ended up moving up there. Right. And they, I grew up with them down in Southeastern South Carolina. And when Miss Melinda found out I was coming to Indianapolis, she was so excited. And she's like, you got to come down here to Terre Haute and see the farm and all that. And I was like, hey, I'm all about it. So I I drove down there to Terre Haute. I went and I visited my buddy Mark Kelsey's grave. He's in um, Washington County. He's buried in Washington County. I drove down south down to Washington County to visit his grave. Mark Kelsey was killed in the fire in 2007. And I laid a No One Gets Left Behind t-shirt on his grave. I put my hand on his grave and I said some words with him because I was with him that night. Uh, he's one of the ones that I pulled out of that building, me and other guys pulled out of there. And, uh, so it was, it was nice to go down there and and spend some time with him. But when I went to miss Melinda's house, the crazy part about this was I spent the night with her and, and her husband, Mr. David that night. And she made me chocolate chip cookies because I grew up eating chocolate chip cookies. She would make them for me all the time. Well, the night that I chose to go down there was the same night that my album reporting for duty was to debut on Sirius XM radio. And I'd never heard my album. I never, um, I never got to listen to it. This was the first time I'd get to listen to it in its entirety. And the whole album, I can't remember what hour it was. It was like five or six o'clock. It was in the middle of, it was a, it was a good hour to come out on Sirius XM radio and laugh USA. And I remember she had Sirius XM in her Cadillac Escalade. We, we turned on her Escalade we turned um, we turned the air conditioner on and we sat in that car for over an hour and listened to that whole album play in its entirety on Sirius XM radio. And I sat there with her and I was reflecting on that memory this morning. And when I started my comedy journey, you could have never told me that I was going to make an album that went to the top 10 and top 100 comedy albums. I would, I would have never believed that because I just didn't have my, my, my sights set on making an album like that. And so when I look back and I look at all the bullshit that I grinded through to get to just that moment to be able to hear your own album on the radio. Now, granted, it, am I Elvis? Am, am, is everybody in the world know who that, about that album? No, but I don't give a fuck. That was a personal accomplishment. And it made me sit here and actually think about, wow, dude, you have come a long way since that album. And then after that album. I would be able to go and do some TV spots and my career kept growing and growing and growing. And then until I put the nail in the coffin and I quit and that I talk about all that in my book, Creator a light. And that was important for me this morning just to sit back and reflect on that, you know, because as I'm writing this next book and I look at how far I've been, it makes me proud of myself. And I think you should do that too. Whoever you are, wherever you are stop and think about where you've been, what you've been through and what, what it took for you to get to where you're going. You don't have to constantly be, um, appearing on the summit of every mountain that you climb. Okay. Sometimes you're just going to have to hike along the side of a mountain to get to the top of another one. All right. It's not, it's peaks and valleys. And I was telling a guy in this class the other day that I was teaching, He said, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm coming down the mountain, but then if, then again, i turn around and I feel like I'm, I'm turning around and I'm going back up and I stopped him and I go, no bro. You know what it is? If you've ever been mountain hiking, right? Once you get to the top of a mountain and you hike down, it's not always a decline going down. Sometimes you come down, but sometimes you have to come back up another mountain. And that mountain is a little bit smaller than the mountain that you're coming down from and it's a series like that it's like an it's like a roller coaster when you go to the top of the hill there's a, there's one really big peak on the roller coaster and then it bottoms out and then it comes up to another peak that's just not quite as high as the last peak you were on that's what he was experiencing and i've been there too and i've experienced that but you got to understand every time that you're going up you're actually still going down you're going down in elevation and that is progress and you got to be able to recognize that in yourself And you got to be able to be proud of that. Say, you know what? I'm on a fucking peak right now, but it ain't as high as that last peak was. And I'm going to keep pushing. So focus on where you've been. That'll help where you're going. I promise you. In this next book that I'm writing, I was writing something the other day that really stuck out to me. And it's one of the favorite, um, parts of this new book that I'm writing. It's, uh, I write this whole chapter on hypervigilance and what it's like. And I compare it to uh, the animal kingdom and I compare it to um, how deer are hypervigilant. They're extremely hypervigilant and nobody like a deer doesn't go to a class to learn that a deer learns that from watching its parents. A deer learns that from watching older deer when he's a baby deer, when a baby deer is born, he doesn't know that every man on earth is bad. Hey, learn that. That's a learned behavior. It's instinctual. Yes, part of it's instinctual, but there's a lot of learned behavior. Look at deer in captivity. Deer in captivity, you can walk up to them and French kiss them. They're not afraid of you. I know this because I had a deer lick me right in the fucking mouth at Magnolia Plantation in Charleston, South Carolina. Walked right up to me and stuck his tongue in my face. Pretty much French kissed me. That's a deer that's not afraid of man. That's a deer that has only been raised around human beings and he hasn't been raised around other deer that teach him, Hey, those people will fuck you up. All right. What I'm getting at with this is I I teach how hypervigilance is also a learned behavior to our children. If we're not careful and without going into the whole book, I talk about how hypervigilance appears to other people and what it looks like. And I talk about Bob the banker being a chivalrous southern gentleman when he opens the door for his family coming into a restaurant or leaving that restaurant. And I talk about how I don't appear to be the same chivalrous man who doesn't really care about my family as much as Banker Bob. And what am I teaching my daughters because I'm not holding the door for them? And the difference is this Banker Bob doesn't anticipate the threat on the other side of that door when he's letting his family walk through first. Banker Bob doesn't anticipate the threat in that parking lot when he's walking out of a business and he holds the door open for his wife and young daughters to walk out into that dangerous ass parking lot like Travis house does. Travis house considers every threat first opens the door and I go through the threat and leave my family safely behind me. I will be the first motherfucker through the door. I'm the point man of this goddamn family. So I'm going first and I'm going to clear the room before y'all come through. And that's the div- difference between appearing chivalrous and and unchivalrous. I don't appear to be the Southern gentleman, but I'm every bit of it. That's why I'm excited about that chapter. I think that that chapter is going to, to touch a lot of people. I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to that, that chapter in that book. And I'm trying to do every chapter that strongly, um, in that book. I'm going to go ahead and forewarn you this book. And I think I said it earlier. This book is not going to rehash my past. It's not going to talk about all of my trauma. It's going to talk about my experiences moving past that. It's going to be about my understanding of the way that I am, why that I am the way that I am. And hopefully we together can build an awareness in this this community and make people and let people understand this shit better. Yeah, we know we're fucked up, but what do we do with it? And that's what this book's about. There's another another chapter I'm going to write about that's pretty much going to be the ingredients chapter. And what I realized was this, when you're going through a mental health crisis, I was struggling for so long and I was grasping at straws because I thought that if I grasped at enough straws, eventually I would grab the right straw and it would pull me out of whatever I was in. And, and what I mean by that is I would do anything. I was so desperate. I would try this. I would try that. I would buy this thing. I would spend this much money on this thing thinking, oh, this is going to happen. I would chase this dream. I would accomplish this goal. And what I found was it was never good enough. And whatever I was, I was grabbing was very short-lived. And through this writing process has taken me all the way up until now to realize this. It's not any one thing. It's a bunch of ingredients That complete the recipe for happiness. Man, I was looking back this morning on notes and uh, in my phone, and like I say, I don't keep a lot of shit in my phone. But I was looking today, and one of my notes was from episode three, and I'm sitting here sitting down recording episode seventy-seven, and it makes me smile. You think it's not important to look back at how far you've come? It is. It is, and that that actually helped motivate me today pump this episode out. Cause it's like, man, that's 77 straight weeks of content that I'm able to sit down and have something come out every single Monday. When in the beginning, I was like, man, I don't know if I can even get 10 episodes. It's crazy to think how far it's come. I don't know how far it's going. I don't know where this thing peters out. I don't, if it does, I just don't know, but I'm having a good time with it. And I'm really appreciating support that you all have shown. What I, what I do ask is, you know, I'm getting trying to get better at asking for things. I'm asking you to share this podcast. I'm asking you to take some time. If you, if you follow me on Instagram, find your favorite episode out of all 77 episodes, find it and share it in your stories and tell other people about it and tell them why you think it's a good podcast or why you think that they should listen to it. Um, I don't really ask people to do those things. Um, periodically people do that and and it brings a smile to my face to see the support and see people sharing and I'll reshare it sometimes. Um, but I'm just not good at asking for things and I don't feel like giving Instagram money. Um, so they can dictate how, how far this podcast goes. I like doing it the grassroots way. I like doing this because this, this feels more like family to me than it does anything else. So thank y'all for the support. Um, I'm super, super excited to, um, hopefully have that book out to y'all in 2023. I'm going to periodically throughout different episodes, I'm going to give you a little taste about, uh, where I am in the progress and the process of writing. Uh, I think that also helps motivate me to keep pushing on these different topics. Um, there's one yesterday I was writing about, there's a chapter called on top of the mountain and, what it is is I talk about horse horseback riding in Montana with my daughter. And the moment that I realized I was buying a ranch or a farm or whatever you want to call this place that I have, I knew in that moment what I was going to do. And it took that moment, um, for me to understand what was, what was important in life. And so I think that's part of the beautiful, uh, beautiful part of the story is going to be. So can't wait for y'all to, to read it. All right. Thank y'all so much. I love y'all. Bye.